0: Welcome back to Michigan Crime Stories. If you are here and haven't listened to part one of our four-part season, we highly recommend you go back and do that now. Hopefully you never have to use it, but as we continue discussing a case that involves a missing child, we wanted to share the number and website for the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. The number is 1-800-THE-LOST, or 1-800-843-5678 and the website is missingkids.org. The center says you should only reach out after first contacting local law enforcement if a child has gone missing. Before we jump back into our story, a reminder that this podcast includes graphic content, including adult language, as well as mentions of violence and suicide. Listener discretion is
1: advised. I got a call from Detective Krebs, and she said, How you doing? I have a question for you. Okay. Okay. We have a Jane Doe that we found in our system. Da, 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 da. She, we marked her, they marked her as a 20-year-old black female. And I didn't get all the details of what she just said. Would you mind if we exhumed that body and checked her DNA against yours? No. I mean, go for it. I mean, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. At this point, I know that she's gone. I don't know that this person is her, but I know she's not alive.
2: Brianna, a troubled 13-year-old who spent her life being shuffled around, made her final move to Detroit to live with her mother, siblings, grandmother, and her mother's boyfriend in April of 2008. Her father, Leonard Cobb, saw the move as his best option. He couldn't do it alone as a single working father. That became increasingly evident in recent years. Brianna lived with them in Austin and began exhibiting worsening behavior, running away for several days at a time, stealing, lying and having kids over to the house while leonard was at work and against his wishes he knew something had to change and felt the close family unit in detroit might be what his daughter needed it's a decision that leonard would come to regret in just a few short months
1: she would call and you know she would sound happy you know she would be outside most of the time
2: around the time that brianna moved back to detroit there was a bright spot in leonard's life he met his wife to be amy communication with brianna was sporadic but she seemed to be doing okay No news was good news. Brianna didn't have her own cell phone, but would borrow someone else's phone or a landline to call Leonard when she wanted. When Leonard reached out to Brianna, it was usually by calling Brianna's mother, Sabrina. The first sign of any problems was when Brianna ran away from the home and called Leonard because she was lost in Detroit.
1: That was the second-to-last conversation we had. A few days later, or a week or so later, she called just to talk to me. We had spoken... And I still hear the conversation. She was outside playing with her neighbor at the time. Her sister was there, and I recall her and her sister even getting on the phone, saying, "Hey, Brianna's dad," because I treated her like she was my daughter too. Hey, how you doing? I was, you know, how are you going? And everything was fine. Everything was good. Okay, talk to you soon. Love you. Bye.
2: And then radio silence. Leonard didn't log the calls, but after July 31st, 2008, he never heard from Brianna again. It didn't take long for him to become concerned. He started calling Sabrina, but couldn't reach her, he said. This went on over a period of more than six months into the following year.
1: After a couple of months, I call. I hadn't talk, talked to my daughter in a while. I call, and all of a sudden, there was no answers to the phone. I'm not thinking anything about it because she was notorious for switching phones, like numbers. She would always call me every few months. Hey, here's my new phone number. Here's my few. So at first I didn't leave a message because I'm thinking she would see that I called her ID. She said I called, she called me back. So after she didn't, I started started to leave messages. Hey, this is Leonard. Can you let me know what's going on? I hadn't talked to you guys. Nothing, 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 nothing. Call again, nothing. And this is 2009 at this
2: point. Leonard said he tried to call both the Detroit Police Department and the Wayne County Sheriff's Office, which has jurisdiction over Detroit. Weeks before Brianna went missing, the family moved to a small home in Riverview in Northwest Detroit. Leonard didn't even have the address.
1: I want to do a welfare check. Well, do you know she lives? That is my whole point. I'm not exactly sure, but I, this is her mom's name. This is my daughter's name. And they said, well, you are in Texas. You need to come to Detroit. And I said, I'm not understanding why I need to do that if I'm asking you for a welfare check. Their comment, I think there, it was a lady that I spoke to, and she's, I think she said, well, we don't give out that information because it was something to do with knowing where she lived. And I said, quite honestly, I said, I don't give a shit where she lives. I just want to know that my daughter is okay. That's all that I'm asking.
2: I sent records requests to both the Detroit Police Department and the Wayne County Sheriff's Office for any records related to reports from Leonard. Both responded that they had nothing on file. Leonard also reached out to other relatives of Brianna in the Detroit area, but none of them were able to tell him where his daughter was. Through his efforts to reach Sabrina, Leonard had people call from other area codes to try and trick her into answering. He thought if Sabrina didn't see his Austin, Texas area code, she might answer. Leonard's mom called from Texarkana, Texas, his wife's mother called from Kansas City, and his friend called from Dallas.
1: No answer. So at the point it became nowhere, don't answer any phone calls from anywhere that
2: she didn't know the number.
1: That's basically what it came down to. No matter how many people I got to call, she was never answering the phone.
2: A year and two months since he spoke with Brianna, Leonard finally had some luck after making a call to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children hotline.
3: At the time, I was working in the family abduction unit, and um, father had reported Brianna to the center around sometime in September of 2009.
2: That's Farrell Sferd with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children speaking to me in 2017. I recently requested a new interview with the nonprofit but was denied. Farrell still works with the center in a different capacity. His
3: report was that he last spoke with his daughter and the mother in sometime early, or either late July or early August, and that's when the conversation stopped. He did have concerns, though, because Brianna has had a history of running away, and so he was concerned that maybe that is what happened and that she wasn't reported as missing.
2: Farrell was the first person in any sort of position of power to take Leonard seriously. She first contacted Detroit police and was able to get them to at least try and perform a wellness check.
3: They did, in fact, go out to try to confirm welfare. Um, from my memory, they did go to a last known address and, and um, tried to contact mom and were unable to make contact. And that, that was the level of involvement of the Detroit Police Department.
2: Detroit police, it seemed, weren't going to be much more help. But Farrell wasn't ready to give up. She contacted the Wayne County Missing and Exploited Children Task Force which includes investigators from various police agencies in the Detroit area. It turned out, however, the task force had disbanded, but she was able to reach a former member who's with the Michigan State Police Department, Michigan's largest law enforcement agency.
3: First, the the case. Um, was worked by a Sergeant Green initially, and he listened to what I had to say. In addition, I think that he felt that maybe this was a little hokey um, and something wasn't quite right about the case. So I think that they probably realized this was a little bit suspicious as well.
2: Trooper Greg Primo, who later moved to the Michigan State Police Post in the Upper Peninsula's Iron Mountain, started on the case. Prior to his transfer, he brought in then-trooper Sarah Krebs, who ran a unit dedicated to identifying missing persons, especially kids, and unidentified remains. Often, unidentified remains and missing people are one and the same. Their first task was to find and talk to Sabrina Sharp. Most of what I know about this investigation comes from state police investigative records that I obtained through a Freedom of Information Act request. The first mention of Sabrina Sharp is in a report written by Trooper Primo, and he's writing about what Trooper Krebs told him. The October 16, 2009 dated report says, quote, I asked Trooper Krebs to search her missing persons file to see if she had any information on Brianna. During this process, she contacted Sabrina by telephone. Sabrina confirmed that Brianna had run away. Sabrina said Brianna ran away in June of 2009, and cops said she ran away in July of 2008. Sabrina told Trooper Krebs that she had periodic contact with Brianna over the past few months by telephone but she does not know where Brianna is, unquote. I interviewed both Krebs and Primo back in 2017. Primo was involved in following up on a lot of the leads, but Krebs had more success actually talking to Brianna's family in Detroit, including Brianna's grandmother and mother, with whom Brianna lived. I asked her for an updated interview, being that five years have passed since the last time I recorded a conversation with her about Brianna's case, but her superiors asked her to, quote, politely decline, since she no longer works in the missing persons unit. Back then, a lot of Krebs' work involved obtaining DNA from the relatives of missing people, as well as unidentified remains, and trying to match the two. While things have improved, at the time there were over 500 unidentified remains cases in Michigan. Today there are about 320, and Krebs was instrumental in solving a lot of those cases.
4: I really enjoy that I can get a family answers, and even if I don't have the answers for them right away. I can at least give them um, kind of an outline of of where we need to go with their case and what we need to do next. And it's really a fulfilling job, as sad as it is, because a lot of my cases end up with a death notification. I do like that I can end their search. So a lot of these families have been in this uh, missing person hiatus for many, many years. And if you think about it, if you had a loved one that was the victim of a homicide, you find out about it that day And you work through that pain, and even if it might not ever go away, you at least have answers of what happened to them. When somebody goes missing, you just don't know, and you are thrown into this suspense, and it can go on for decades, of not knowing if you should grieve or not. Are they out there? Are they coming home for Christmas? Should I set up a plate at the table for them? Should I get them a gift? It's terrible. I think it's actually worse for them to not know than to know. So um, we started it as a fresh missing persons investigation and at the time that uh, Brianna had gone missing she was 13 so um, our first thing to do was to track down the custodial mother to find out you know the pertinent information where did she go missing from what was the date etc etc it was it was sad to us that her mother could only say that it was warm out Um, she didn't really remember uh, what the date was when her daughter went missing and I believe at that point it had been over a year. I think we got the case in October of 2009. The mother could only tell us that she went missing when it was warm out, and it had to have been a year prior in 2008. We had to track her down. Um, she was not at the last address she was showing, but yes, we ended up tracking her down, talked to her in person, and that was kind of the statement that she gave us that um, you know Brianna had gone missing when it was warm, that she had uh, she had some truancy issues some problems at home, and um, she was not officially reported, though, so Mom had never made an official police report.
2: According to a police report filed by Trooper Primo, Sabrina came in to the Michigan State Police Post on October 21, 2009. Primo's police report says Sabrina told him that Brianna began getting into trouble at a very young age. and quote. According to Sabrina, Brianna began to steal and was always getting into trouble at school. Sabrina said Brianna was enrolled for one day at a school and was kicked out for the remainder of the school year because she attacked a teacher, unquote. I haven't been able to confirm this expulsion ever happened. Brianna's sister doesn't remember it. Leonard said he wasn't even sure Brianna's mother enrolled her in school when she returned from Texas in April of 2008, and subsequent police reports indicate investigators could not find any public school records. Sabrina, during an interview with Trooper Primo, admitted she had never reported Brianna missing and said she vanished in August of 2008. This is about a year earlier than she had told Trooper Krebs during an earlier conversation. It's also about the same time frame that Leonard said he last heard from Brianna. According to the police report, Primo asked Sabrina when was the last time she had spoken to Brianna. Sabrina said it was by phone in April of 2009. Brianna said she was okay, but wouldn't reveal where she was. Primo then, for the first time ever, entered a formal missing persons report for Brianna, almost a year and three months after anyone had seen her. On page three of the missing persons report that is signed by Sabrina, there's a checked box next to which it reads, I believe the person named above to be voluntarily missing, but request assistance in locating her.
4: She had no idea where her daughter was, proven by the fact that she never went to the police and asked for help in finding her daughter. It wasn't like there were search parties out looking for Brianna. Nobody in her family had ever even approached law enforcement. I, I do know that for a fact. I checked for missing persons um, reports coming out of that address, coming from family members in the house, and there were none.
2: The only police contact that state police could verify was Sabrina's claim that she had attempted to have Brianna detained at the county juvenile detention center. Police notes show that the facility made a record of Sabrina visiting the detention center on June 5, 2008, about two months before Brianna was last seen. Juvenile detention officials said Sabrina was inquiring about Brianna being, quote, incorrigible. She was provided information about counseling services and a youth boot camp, but Sabrina never followed up, according to Krebs Police Reports. By December 2009, police issued a media release that resulted in various Detroit-area news outlets broadcasting Brianna's picture and details about when she was last seen. Police also began the process of trying to collect DNA from Sabrina in case they could match Brianna to any unidentified remains cases. Krebs said, when you have a juvenile that's been missing for more than a year, that's, quote, a problem. The media reports generated some dead-end leads from people across the nation, including in Florida and Nebraska, who reported possibly spotting Rihanna. They never checked out. Police obtained DNA swabs from Sabrina in January of 2010, but it turned out police used the wrong kit, so that was delayed as they needed to obtain a proper collection kit and track down Sabrina again. Over the next year, Primo followed up on a bunch of tips. But according to the case entries, it was a year and two months into the investigation that there was a big break. In a report submitted by Trooper Primo on December 9, 2010, he notes, quote, I received information from Trooper Krebs that there was a deceased female that was located in the west side of Detroit. The age and some other indicators indicated the female could possibly be Brianna.
4: With my background in working with the morgue, That was my next step. So I went there and I started looking through autopsy files to see if I could connect any of them in that time period back to Brianna. I did find a file that was in August of 2008. They had recovered uh, the body of a black female. However, she was coded as an adult. So when she was put into our... Uh, missing persons database, she was actually entered as a 19 to 21 year old black female. So as far as the missing children searches, we would have missed her. But when I pulled the autopsy file and I saw the pictures of her, I knew it was Brianna. She was not uh, recognizable at that point, but the type of dress, even uh, some characteristics of her body made me believe that it was probably Brianna. And uh, sadly, that case had already been buried by the medical examiner because they couldn't identify her within that year and she got um, buried in a pauper's grave at the county expense. Well, then I'm trying to uh, find those biometrics so I can try to identify her. Um, when it came to dental, we did have a dental exam on the post-mortem body by our forensic odontologist. However, we did not have dental records on Brianna because her mother could not verify that she ever saw a dentist. As far as fingerprints, Brianna did not have fingerprints on file, as most juveniles would not. So the fingerprints were out, and the um, DNA was all we had left. So we collected the family reference samples from mom and dad. However, that body had been buried without taking a DNA sample. So really, it put that six feet of dirt between us and answers.
2: There were police report references to a baby tooth of Brianna's that Leonard submitted for use in DNA collection. I didn't see the outcome or any follow-up notes, but apparently it wasn't enough. Because the Wayne County Medical Examiner's Office didn't save any biological tissue, Krebs had no choice but to exhume the unidentified woman's body. The Jane Doe lay on the ground in a cheap pine box along dozens, if not hundreds, of other bodies that were never collected from the morgue. This Jane Doe was buried in a section of the cemetery known as Angel's Row. She was in Row 1, Vault 19, Casket C. It's not easy or cheap to exhume but Krebs began the process that involved finding grant funds to pay for the exhumation. Since Brianna was a minor, there were some grant funds Trooper Krebs was able to secure through the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. According to the dates listed in records I obtained, the funds were secured on February 13, 2012. On March 27, 2012, keys turned to the ignitions of heavy machines and engines from backhoes began to rumble in the lawn at Knollwood Cemetery.
4: It's actually less exciting than most people would think. Um, Usually it's myself, uh, somebody from the medical examiner's office and a couple of people from the cemetery. Usually the cemetery workers are the ones to run the heavy equipment to do the groundbreaking, open the vault, pull out. So Brianna was buried in what we call a quad grave meaning there's four bodies, four different coffins stacked on top of each other in the same vault. They use a backhoe. They put chains around both ends of the casket and they lift it out. We actually took her entire uh, casket back to the medical examiner's office. And in the autopsy room, we opened it and removed some of her remains for the DNA. So we're just sending in long bones. And um, her case was completely skeletal at that point. She had been buried, I think, not quite a year but completely skeletal. And as far as exhumations go, it was pretty easy.
2: The Jane Doe's long bone, her femur, was sent to the University of North Texas, which at the time was extracting and logging DNA for unidentified person cases across the nation. It was now a waiting game and would take months to confirm whether or not the skeleton was that of Brianna Quiche Sharp. June 2012 in Austin, Leonard had just returned from the fitness center he was working as a trainer at and preparing to take a nap.
1: Got knocked on the door, doorbell and um, yeah, I'm thinking to myself. Nobody should be in my house now. So I'm thinking because we get solicitors. So I kind of look around the corner. I see two women. I don't. They, they're dressed in regular clothes. Huh? So and they have these little things like the people do in selling the magazines. I'm like, ah, that's just some solicitors.
2: Leonard ignored the two women and laid back down for his nap. But they didn't stop knocking or ringing the doorbell.
1: So I walk outside and they say, "Are you going?" Yes, I am. You want to go outside? I said, "No, just you can tell me. I already know what it is." But you know. Get it all out of the way. Well, well, sir, we're sorry to inform you that like, the DNA sample that you provided belongs to Brianna Sharp, the Jane Doe that was in Detroit. I mean, I, I couldn't cry because I'd already cried myself already. So I was just kind of like in, not in shock, not surprised, but but hurt.
2: Police had yet to inform Brianna's mother, Sabrina, that her daughter had not in fact been a missing runaway for the last four years. She'd been dead. Leonard said authorities wanted to give him a head start on obtaining his daughter's remains.
1: I wanted her here. I did not want her to go with them. Since so they didn't give a shit while she was there, I
2: wanted her here. But there were probably other motives for notifying Leonard first. Sabrina wouldn't be told of her daughter's death by two cordial and sympathetic officers of the law. She was instead arrested in what Brianna's half-sister described as a raid later the same week. The arrest seemed a little bit contrived was for an outstanding probation violation on a marijuana charge out of the Detroit suburb of Livonia. It occurred back in 2003 but was apparently still unresolved. Once under arrest, Trooper Krebs showed up. She wasn't there to talk about pot. She interviewed Sabrina again about her daughter's disappearance. And again, Sabrina maintained that she'd heard from her daughter well after police now knew Brianna was already dead. According to Trooper Krebs' report, quote, I then advised Sabrina that Brianna had been found deceased on August 6, 2008. Sabrina cried for several minutes before I brought up the obvious deception regarding her getting phone calls from her deceased child. Sabrina grew defensive and said, well, I thought it was her. Meanwhile, down in Texas, Leonard had spent four years looking for his daughter. Now he'd found her, and that brought some relief, but soon a new Pandora's box of questions would open surrounding how Brianna died. Based on possible neglect, including the fact that Sabrina didn't report her dead daughter as missing, Child Protective Services was planning a hearing to potentially take away her four other children. One of the Child Protective Services investigators contacted Leonard before that upcoming hearing.
1: The lady said, you know, I have to read or listen to what I'm hearing and read the report that says suicide. But sir, honestly, this sounds fishy. This was out of her mouth. She said, this doesn't sound correct. And I said, well, I don't understand what that means. How did she die? She, they said on the report it was dead by hanging, confiscation. She hung herself. She said, but the report states that she's at the bottom of some stairs. And she said, I don't know who can hang themselves and throw themselves down the stairs at the same time. So I'm mentally trying to picture, I don't know how that could happen.
2: Leonard wasn't ready to accept the official cause and manner of death, asphyxia by hanging. He found it hard to believe that Brianna, knowing her personality, would kill herself by breaking into a vacant Detroit apartment wrapping a cable cord around her neck and launching herself down some stairs.
1: She loved that attention, right? And it wasn't all bad. She just liked the attention. So to go somewhere, to do something like that, away from where anybody would be able to see her, would not happen. I knew her well enough to know that would not be something she would have done. I know this probably sounds like every other parent, but I knew that young lady. (laughs) she was a little shit she was a spitfire she had a lot of attitude give you that but killing herself was the last thing she would have ever done
0: You've just finished part two of Brianna's story. Make sure to subscribe to Michigan Crime Stories wherever you get podcasts so you will be alerted of future episodes and seasons of the podcast. If you want to speak with Gus about the case highlighted in this season or another crime story, you can contact him by email at fburns@mlive.com. That's F as in Foxtrot, Burns, B-U-R-N-S, at mlive.com. If you value the work of journalists like Gus, consider becoming an MLive subscriber at mlive.com slash subscribe. If you or someone you know is in a suicidal crisis or emotional distress, the new shortened nationwide number for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is 988. That's right. It's just three numbers. 988. Thanks for listening to Michigan Crime Stories. We'll see you here at your convenience for part three of What Happened to Brianna.